Yeah, very good morning to you. I hope you're well. This Thursday morning is the 18th of January 2024. I'm Richie Allen. This is The Papers, the podcast. It is a podcast. It's pretty simple, this. We look at the UK daily newspapers, starting with the front pages, and then looking at one or two stories inside the very same papers. I hope you're well. It's freezing. Minus five, minus six degrees overnight here in Salford. I know compared to other parts of the world that isn't too extreme, but it feels bloody cold. I've just been outside in the park with the puppies and I I saw nary, nary another soul, nary a, another human being, nobody around anyway. Look, um, we're going to start with The Guardian this morning. Headline, Sunak's Rwanda bill survives as Tory revolt melts away for now. So most of the UK daily newspapers going with this story. Okay, reporting on Sunak's success in seeing off a revolt by Tory MPs who wanted to see his Rwanda bill strengthened. The Guardian says that the rebels balked at further undermining Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's authority. And the rebels concluded that defeating the bill by voting with Labour, uh, Labour of course opposed it completely, the rebels decided that if they did that, it could have collapsed the government and led to an early election. So only 11 rebel Tory MPs voted against the government. Others abstained, meaning his bill passed the Commons. It now goes to the House of Lords. It's a load of old bollocks. You and I know that. But anyway, so that's um, most of the papers. The Times, Rwanda revolt withers away withers away, says the Times. Only 11 Tory rebels ultimately opposing the legislation, well short of the 32 required to defeat it. On the front page of the Times today, a photograph of Charles the King, not my king, and the Princess of Wales, his daughter-in-law, both of whom have undergone, will undergo, medical procedures. She had an abdominal operation or abdominal surgery yesterday and will be out of action for a few weeks or a few months. He has an enlarged prostate apparently and he will go to hospital uh, for treatment for that. And again a number of newspapers going with that story on their front pages as well today. I, the iPaper, revealed new post office IT scandal claims as convicted Postmasters plead for help. Gavora Gia Oring, as we would say, Osquelge in Irish. I've had enough of this postmaster story. I don't know about you. Let's leave that. The sun riles shocked by Kate up. She's in hospital two weeks. No duties for three months and prostate up for King, according to the sun. The metro riles double health shock. <laughs> The Daily Star, a photograph of Princess Kate. Kate's op is the headline. Pretty simple, Kate's op. The Daily Mirror, I'll be there for Kate. A photograph of Prince William smiling adoringly at Princess Kate. Who knows when the picture was taken, but he will be there for Kate. The Daily Express, Kate doing well after surgery but recovery to take weeks. Lovely. Also a photograph of Esther Ranson media personality, television presenter for the BBC for many, 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 many years. Presented the famous That's Life programme. 
she wants to see a debate on assisted dying. She's terminally ill. And if it all became too much for her, uh, she has said if it does become too much for her, she might consider going to Dignitas in Switzerland, which is an assisted dying clinic. Daily Mail headline, let's pray that they're both okay. I couldn't give a fuck personally, but um, the Daily Telegraph, hospital surgery for King and Princess. Financial Times, global sell-off as UK and Eurozone, warning signs, dash, rate, cut, hopes. What's that about? What is it about? Well, the Financial Times is reporting today that there was a worldwide sell-off of stocks and bonds yesterday uh, because of expectations that interest rates will stay high for longer than previously thought. According to the Financial Times, markets had been pricing in rate cuts as soon as this spring. But uh, the Times says, the Financial Times, that Christine Lagarde, president of the European Central Bank, has signalled that they will not fall as soon as many had hoped. Shall we leave that? I think we shall leave that. Let's look inside the papers. This is the papers. It's Thursday, 18th of January. Today begins day 18, your BBG off the booze. I'm going to continue to, 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 to stay with this theme. I'll mention this. I'll mention this from time to time as I go on because, because I know that you, well some of you in any case, are doing the same thing. You've given it up for the entirety of January and then later on you want to change your relationship with alcohol. Sounds ridiculous. That sort of language is ludicrous. It's my relationship with alcohol. I have a relationship, relationship with alcohol, yes. I want to change, drastically change my... In my case, I would have a drink pretty much every day after work. And then, you know, sometimes really get stuck in on a Sunday during the sport. And I'm determined that... In fact, I'm not determined. That's, that's finished. I'm, I'm done with that. I'm going to restrict myself uh, from February onwards to having a couple of beers on a Friday night, maybe a drink on, when I say a drink now, one or two on a Saturday. And if there's a game of football on a Sunday, I might have one or two and I will never again drink during the week. That's that's my thing. And I'm enjoying it, to be honest. 18 days in, I'm enjoying it. I haven't missed it. Haven't, not, not one time did I think of reaching for the alcohol because I, I really scaled it back over the Christmas. I had much less to drink at Christmas than I might have done in previous years. And there is a cupboard. And inside that cupboard, there is one third of a litre of Bacardi. There is a bottle of whiskey I was given a present of this Christmas. It isn't open. It's not open at all. And not, not one time this January have I been tempted to open either. Not one time, so there you are. Anyway, and it's all good. Now, the Times. Let's look inside the Times. Let's talk about Charles. So here's an interesting story. In fact, this came up on the Papers podcast back in 2023. It's the King's Doctor. So here's the headline, A Fan of Homeopathy and Faith Healing. Who is the King's Doctor? So the article reads, With both the Princess of Wales and the King out of action due to medical treatments, the Royal Doctor is likely to have a busy few weeks on his hands. Unlike many past heads of the Royal Medical Household, Dr. Michael Dixon, who was quietly given the role in late 2022, has previously spoken out in favour of some unlikely medical practices, including homeopathic remedies and faith healing. 
Dixon, 71, has practiced in the NHS for almost half a century and remains a working GP part-time at a surgery in Devon. He is also one of the nation's premier advocates for complementary medicine and homeopathy, having written papers claiming that Christian healers, however unfashionable, may be able to help the chronically ill. That's a direct quote from him. That while Christian healers are unfashionable, they may be able to help the chronically ill. He is reported to have once said that evidence-based medicine is not the cure-all it is made out to be. As chairman of the Complementary Medicine Advocacy Group, the College of Medicine, Dixon, who was awarded an OBE for services to primary care, has championed the NHS provision of non-traditional treatments, including thought field therapy aromatherapy and reflexology. Do you like that thought field therapy? So the article goes on to say that King Charles has a long-standing interest in alternative medical practices. Back in 2006, he told the World Health Organization that governments should, quote, abandon their conventional mindset, end quote, about medication. He is a patron of the College of Medicine and the Faculty of Homeopathy and even explored opening a homeopathic centre of excellence at an NH hospital. The NHS has not offered homeopathic remedies since 2017. How interesting. Of course, we know, don't we, that there was an NHS experiment um, on energy healing and the experiment concluded that energy healing works and could be very, very useful in treating people. Let me just bring up, because it's very early in the morning, I was introduced to this by Peter Ebden, the great Peter Ebden. Um, uh, let's do it. Yeah, in NHS Hospital. There's a wonderful book about this, because it worked. Let's see. Uh, there is a book, there is a book, there is a book. Um, let me just bring this up, if I can bring it up. Oh, God. I'm just going to keep recording. There was a time when I would have stopped and started again, but I'm not going to do that because I don't give a shite like. Um, but yeah, there is a book about this. Uh, Healing in a Hospital, it's called. Thank you. Thank you, Internet, for saving my bacon. And it was written by a wonderful woman called Sandy Edwards. And Sandy came on the Richie Allen Show. Healing in a Hospital, the book is called Scientific Evidence that Spiritual Healing Improves Health. And this is about uh, the largest healing trial in the world in a, an NHS hospital. Uh, this is a proper controlled study of healing. Um, it took place over a couple of years and it showed that healing works. It just does work. So there you are. I'll leave that there, right? So interesting, isn't it? Interesting, the King of England, inter you know, is very open to energy healing and faith healing and alternative therapies. How interesting. The Telegraph, NHS Scotland advises public to walk like a penguin amid snow and ice warnings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was the subject, this particular story of much ridicule on social media yesterday. It's freezing at the moment. Absolutely freezing. And when a freeze follows a little bit of rain, well, you know, the foot footpaths or the pavements and the roads are often pretty treacherous, pretty slippery. So NHS Scotland released a video showing people how to walk like a penguin to avoid falling in icy weather conditions. This is fucking ridiculous, but it actually happened. Okay, Britain experienced some of its coldest nights of the winter so far this week, right? Obviously in northwest Scotland, the Northern Isles, the north in general, it's been freezing. 
Hundreds of schools in Scotland remained closed yesterday because of snow. They're advising motorists to drive with care. So they put out a video with a headline, when it comes to getting around on ice, penguins know best, so walk like a penguin. Uh, The video featured NHS workers demonstrating how to walk like a penguin. (laughs) It's just fucking ridiculous. Sorry for the swearing. I'm just fucking sick of it all, to be honest. I really... I really am. Okay. The papers. As I speak with you, it's 6.34. I don't know why I tell you that. But anyway, uh, Brendan O'Neill, he of Spiked Online, uh, has written an opinion piece in The Telegraph. Have you seen Brendan O'Neill? Have you ever seen him? He's like Toby Young with a beard. You know, Toby Young from the Free Speech Union. O'Neill is like Toby Young with a beard. He is perennially angry. Perennially angry. Perennially um, shouting at wokeism and um, screaming about the rights of people to think freely and speak freely. That is unless they disagree with Brendan O'Neill. Brendan O'Neill is a rank fucking hypocrite. He's written an opinion piece in The Telegraph today castigating the football, um, live football presenter Gary Lineker, himself a a former uh, soccer star. So O'Neill has been given free reign in The Telegraph to castigate Lineker because Lineker retweeted the boycott divestment and sanction movement, a Palestinian movement, to encourage people not to do business with Israel because Israel is an apartheid state. And it is um, brutally killing, murdering and displacing the Palestinians. It is committing genocide. We know this. We don't have to say it over and over again. It's happening. So Lineker retweeted a tweet where the boycott, divestment and sanction movement called for Israel to be booted out of international sporting competition. Fair enough. Lineker retweeted it. Then he shat the bed. He completely shat the bed. When he was criticised, he deleted the tweet and claimed that he didn't really understand it. He thought it was a news item. He's a coward. Anyway, that doesn't matter. I said that yesterday. No point in repeating myself. But this guy, O'Neill, has written this uh, long-winded diatribe full of invective about Lineker and how Lineker should basically shut the fuck up. Uh, The irony of this is lost on O'Neill, of course, who spent most of 2020 and 2021 screaming about censorship around COVID and lockdowns. Um, Grow a pair of balls, Brendan, and stick up for the rights of people to speak on subjects, even if you disagree with them. Grow some balls, Brendan. And even if they're wrong, I mean, I don't believe Lineker is wrong. Of course, Israel should be kicked out of everything from the Eurovision Song Contest. You know, Israeli jockeys should be banned if I had my way, I don't say this for a joke, from riding horses in the fucking Grand National. You know, punish Israel. Punish it. Brutally fucking punish it until it stops doing what it's doing in Gaza. Um, but that's the real acid test when it comes to does somebody support free speech? If you go out on a limb to support the right of somebody to speak, even if you think they're a blathering idiot. You know, I've said it before. I've stood up for and stood out for uh, morons like Tommy Robinson over the years when that cretin, that racist little scumbag, had his um, PayPal account closed. I spoke out against that because I, though completely opposed to um, the ideology of somebody like Tommy fucking Six Names Robinson, I completely support his right to say what he wants and not to be punished for it. So stand up for those you disagree with if you really um, want to make you know, a line, draw a line in the sand and stand up for free speech. Anyway, let's look at The Guardian or inside The Guardian. 
new NHS Children's Gender Clinic hit by disagreements and resignations. What's that about? The Guardian says or writes a string of resignations from a team preparing for the launch of the new NHS Children's Gender Clinic has further complicated plans to open the services in April. So there's a disagreement about the text of a training module for medical recruits to the new gender service. And that's prompted NHS England to remove the training materials project from a team at Great Ormond Street Hospital and outsource it to the Academy of uh, Medical Royal Colleges. So what's going on? Well, a number of members of this new team resigned late last year after disagreements about how children with gender dysphoria should be treated. No surprise there, I suppose. It's all about something that was written by Dr. Hilary Cass, a paediatrician who was charged with reviewing the NHS care of children with gender dysphoria. Now, Hilary Cass said a fundamentally different approach was needed because of rising referrals and a significant change in the case mix with a sharp rise in adolescent girls presenting with gender incongruence in their early teen years. Now, Hilary Cass noted that many children displayed a wide range of other complexities, including mental health needs. Her independent review highlighted uncertainties surrounding the use of hormone treatment. So Hilary Cass said, right, listen, this is fucking crazy. Why are so many? Why is there a massive increase year on year on people saying that they are... Um, having problems with their gender or that they were born in the wrong body. Why are so many girls uh, presenting with gender incongruence? Something else is going on. There are mental health issues, said Dr. Hilary Cass. But some of the woke morons hired by the NHS didn't like that, so I've resigned. And these are morons who want to affirm a patient's gender identity immediately, immediately, and give them whatever medication they want and whatever hormone treatment they need. So that's what you've got, right? You've got common sense, in this new gender clinic, you've got Hillary casting. hang on a second, this is all a bit mad. We shouldn't be just affirming the new gender identity. We should be looking at this from every angle, mental health, all of that. There could be something going on in the child's life. But, and, and, and opposing that are a number of people who were employed who just believe, no, no, if the kid says they're born in the wrong body, they're born in the wrong body. Fucking maniacs. So the Guardian saying, new gender clinic hit by disagreements and resignations. Crazy stuff. Let's talk about something more important inside the Times. Uh, the Times of London. Why do dogs wag their tails? Well, I've been racking my fucking brains over this one for decades. And um, Experts' theories fail to hold sway. Now, I've had dogs in my life for most of my life. I know nothing about dogs, really, apart from my experience of living with them. When I say I know nothing, of course I know something about dogs. I've observed and have been observing canine behaviour for many, many years. But I don't have any scientific, I don't have any credentials. You know, I haven't been studying, biologically studying, studying dogs. I haven't been keeping, I haven't been keeping journals and, and keeping notes about it. So I assume when a dog wags his or her tail, dog's excited. When you come in, you know, when I've been out, for a couple of hours at a football match or a cricket match and I come back in, the dogs go crazy, tails wagging. 500, you know, beats a second, right? I assume they're excited and happy. Well, apparently not. Or apparently we don't know. When your dog wags its tail, is it merely signalling it is happy or is it subtly manipulating you to exploit your inbuilt human preference 
for a soothing rhythm. Listen to that again. Is the dog subtly manipulating you to exploit your inbuilt human preference for a soothing rhythm? Uh, Gavora Gia Oring, I say again. Uh, the embarrassing answer, a group of scientists has said, is we don't know. Despite the centrality of a good tail wag to the human dog bond, no one is sure, as the researchers lament, why it is that dogs do it. That is why it is beyond time, they said, for Waitford, quote, targeted tail wagging research, end quote. As their rallying cry for greater rigour among the scientific tail wagging community was outlined in the, in the, in the journal biology letters, along with a suggestion of their own. They wonder, could it be that the tail wagging is a subtle way of hacking human psychology to enlist affection? Could the dog be hacking our psychology by wagging the tail in order for us to give it some affection? The, the, the boffins say that dogs appear to have evolved big wet eye look Dogs can do that, the big puppy dog eyes, where they look at you and they look all sad. And and maybe dogs do that to exploit our tendency to be caring. So maybe they wag their tails because we are predisposed scientifically, we are biologically predisposed humans to liking a rhythmic motion. Amazing stuff in the times today. Yeah. Let's look inside the Daily Mail. Met Police apologises for crackdown that saw homeless tents being ruined. Wow. Uh, The Met Police has apologised for a crackdown which saw homeless tents being thrown into bin trucks, with Sir Mark Rowley admitting the police had acted unlawfully. A letter from the force's lawyers admitted it was wrong for unlawfully ordering homeless people to move from outside of a hospital in an incident which saw several of their tents destroyed. You have to be a psychopath. You have to be devoid of empathy, devoid of all sympathy, of compassion for your for your fellow man, to take a tent belonging to some poor soul who finds himself or herself at their lowest ebb, without a roof over their heads, a job, and not knowing where the next meal is coming from to take their tent or their sleeping bag or their blankets and throw it into a bin. You couldn't be any more fucking sick, could you really? There's been, the video of this has emerged. Video of it, of these tents being thrown into the back of a, of a rubbish uh, truck. It was filmed in North London, showing bin men wearing high-vis jackets, protected by the police, destroying the tents on an evening where temperatures had plummeted below zero. Fuck me. Anthony Sinclair, homeless man, was arrested because he wouldn't leave. He had his belongings and tent thrown away while he was in custody. The charity Streets Kitchen and Human Rights Campaign Group Liberty um, helped him uh, take legal action against the Metropolitan Chief, that's Sir Mark Rowley, on the grounds that dispersal orders shouldn't stop people from accessing their homes, their tents. Andy Carter, responsible for policing in Camden Town, the chief superintendent there, said they will meet with Anthony Sinclair to apologise in person and that the officers in Camden will receive legal training to ensure it doesn't happen again. Why would you need training to know that it is sick, it is sadistic, it is sociopathic to take the belongings of homeless people and to throw them in bins? What the fuck have we come to 
human beings. You know, a normal person like you or like me, your instinct is to ask the people, have you had something to eat today? Would you like something to eat today? Let's go and get a hot meal and a cup of coffee. Not to throw their belongings in a bin. We saw another story, didn't we, late last year, where security staff working for McDonald's came out and turned a hose on people and began kicking their belongings around, people sleeping rough outside McDonald's. Jesus wept. Let's, uh, let's turn to the mirror. And this is a story I think we'll be talking about in the months and maybe the next couple of years. Inside Britain's broken bus system ruining lives, lost jobs and people isolated. So listen to this. Right across the country, buses are run by private corporations. They were sold off by the Thatcher and the Tony Blair governments. These are the family jewels, right? The crown jewels. Things like, you know, you, you, you know, the gas and electricity supply, the water, uh, transport, all of this stuff was privatised by Thatcher and Blair and it happens to this day, right? Selling off, selling off, selling off. Um, things that should be run by the state for the people, run by the people for the people, but uh, sold off, right? You know that. Britain's bus network is broken and ruining people's lives, passengers have told the Mirror. One elderly couple was forced to put their house on the market because service cuts left them struggling to see their autistic daughter. The Mirror goes on to tell these stories from lots of different people, right? who've been fucked up basically by disappearing bus schedules right across the country, making it difficult for people to get to work, making it difficult for people to go to hospital, making it difficult for people to get out and about, right? It's an excellent story actually in the Mirror. It's free, mirror.co.uk. They call it an exclusive. They quote the Mayor of, of South Yorkshire, a guy called Oliver Coppard. He said that people in South Yorkshire are losing their jobs because they can't get people to work. Bus services, is, bus services are facing a nationwide crisis with the number of miles covered by buses plummeting by almost a quarter in the last 13 years. Can you believe that? Uh, 14 years, since 2010. The number of miles covered by the bus network of the UK dropping by a quarter. Wow. So what's going on? Well, I have a theory. Now, we've seen this in Montpellier in France. We've seen this right across France and in other parts of Europe. This is what they're going to do, I think. This is, a, this is amazing. Do you remember we used to talk about how public services would be driven into the ground so that the public would accept privatisation? Remember that? Wreck a service, wreck it, ruin it, like, like, like the train networks and all of that back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, so that people would accept privatisation. You know, wreck it, ruin it, destroy it, make it absolutely untenable so that when you offer a solution to the public, I tell you what, let's bring the private sector in. They're better at running these services than we are. Let's sell it off so the public would buy it and say, OK. Now they're reversing that. <laughs> let's, let's wreck a service so that the public will scream for the renationalisation of it. Sounds bizarre, but I think this is what's happening. Why? Why? You are screaming at me. Why, Why, Richie? Explain yourself. Okay, I'll explain myself. Because they will renationalise the bus, tram and train networks across the country. I think at this point, within the next two to three years, they will make an announcement. It will be groundbreaking. It will be shocking. 
they will make them free for everybody. I mean this, for everybody. Not for pensioners, not for people with mobility issues, the disabled. They will make them free for everybody. So long, in, uh, so long even as people agree to ditch their cars, their motorbikes and their vans. That's where I see it going. I really do. Ruin it. it it's it's privatised now. Private companies run the transport networks. Wreck it so that people will accept the nationalisation of it. People say, oh, it's brilliant. It's back under state control. At that point, or shortly thereafter, they will make the transport networks free for everybody to use. I believe in the future so long as they agree to scrap their cars and they will, they will introduce this uh, concept by saying we have gone past the point now where we can save the planet. We are at the 11th hour. We're at two minutes to midnight, right? We, we, climate collapse is inevitable. We need to do even more than we previously thought to get to net zero quicker. Therefore, travelling by public transport is free so long as you meet these conditions. That's how I see it. Uh, you might think I'm talking monumental bollocks. I might be because it wouldn't be uh, the first time that I did. Let me tell you, that is all I've got for you on this particular edition of the papers. That's all I have for you. Uh, thanks for listening and thanks for sharing it on your social media pages and whatnot. The live Richie Allen radio show will be on today at 4 o'clock UK time. Now, I have a big problem with my website at the moment. It's down. I don't know when it's back. But you can find links to listen to the live show. You can find them on Facebook and on Twitter, okay? That's the accounts. The Richie Allen Show Twitter and Facebook accounts. Until 4pm today, you have a lovely Thursday. Bye for now. Bye.